Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and thanks again for tuning in to the Mostly Professional podcast. My name is Matthew James French, and today we are talking to our guest, Jake Moss. We'll be talking about painting, writing, theater, working overseas, uh, a very special woman named Margie, uh, and growing up. This is part one of four, so make sure you check out the next installments over the coming weeks. Hope you enjoy, and let's get right into it. to the Mostly Professional Podcast. I am Matthew James French. Thank you for joining me again to explore the space between master and beginner of craft and career. Tonight, I am joined by a Jake of all trades. Uh, Jake Moss is a painter, writer, director, filmmaker, photographer, musician, poet, probably something else. Um, That's just what I grabbed from... His website and various uh, social medias he uh, infrequently visits. <laughs> uh, Jake is a bit aloof. Um, the other thing, for this episode, I'm just going to issue a language warning for the pure reason that I don't want to have to deal with anyone getting upset later. Um, Jake has some very colorful language in the title of some of his works. I don't care. He doesn't care. No one should care. Moving on. <laughs> Speaking of which, yep. Jake, we met at Metro Arts in, you, you reminded me, 2016? March 26, 2016. March 26, 2016. Yep. Uh, at your show, yep. Is There Pussy in Heaven? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that show? So, all right. So, um, that was a show I did, a one-man show. Um, uh, it was about depression and abuse and like the lives of young people. And I created it um, in memory of a friend who had passed away, he took his own life. I went to high school with him and film school with him. And I already knew I wanted to do some theatre stuff. Actually, I think I already booked out theatre. Yeah, and then I realised, okay, I'll do it about this. Um, and yeah, it just made sense at the time because I was. It just came to me, and I thought, okay, I'll do that. And but I didn't want to do anything biographical or anything, so I thought, okay, I just create this one man show. And yeah, you saw it. You, you know what's up. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of it? Yeah, I really i I enjoyed it. That was the first time um, I'd come across you and your work. Um, and the I can't remember who I saw it with. Um, you saw it with Gina. Yeah. And some other people. Yeah, from mm. where I studied acting. Mm. And um, we were just, we were curious about the 
your voice coming through the language and mm. um, the dialogue and um, the story structure and everything like that. It's a very dry way to put it, um, but mm. the way we enjoyed your your voice how on did, stage. How did you guys find out about the show? I don't even know. Yeah, I think I think it was probably a combination of like we enjoyed nearly everything that was on at Metro Arts. Mm. I, you often like to make things free and cheap yeah so yeah. it was possibly an incentive of like it's not that expensive mm. and well, then it's for like 10 bucks or something like yeah. yeah and we were like oh sweet 10 bucks yeah we'll do it mm. um and like we liked one minute shows and probably a, a bunch of stuff like mm. that um now also welcome back to australia yeah you've been overseas yeah. uh many a time in your life um where where are you back from this time this time i'm back from finland Finland. so i was at this art residency for a bit and it was just amazing it was a few hundred k's from helsinki up northwest um i don't know how to pronounce the place but it was at this creative center there and every day just i just painted a lot and every day we had meditation and yoga and yeah yeah it was good Mm. yeah yeah, so that's where I'm back from now. Yeah, um, and the show we just talked about that was uh, that was on at Metro Arts um, uh, in Brisbane, which which sadly is um, leaving. Yeah, in the process of being sold, Re- removing all of it. Yeah, yeah, which is quite sad for a lot of Brisbane artists. Yeah, I guess so. But at the same time, like things only mean like as much as you want them to so mm. it's very easy to get over things like that like yeah it's sad but then i think uh, like there are businesses that move locations every day like you can't get too attached to something you know mm. yeah um but that that venue fostered a lot of your um work and development um what, what was your experience while you were there at brisbane arts theater Le Bois, but mainly metro arts because you've had a bit of a Mm. Um, interesting time uh, while you were there yeah yeah so I um my first uh experience with them was I hired out the theater for two different plays so is a pussy in heaven and then two months later um we did sex shop there and then the week after sex shop finished I moved into my first art studio and then a few months later I got the second one and they were all in the building they're all in the top level and yeah. then a few months after that I moved out of those two and I got the bigger one on level three and I moved into that, like lived in there um, pretty much straight away. I just moved in and yeah, that was, that's something, yeah, that's something else entirely. So yeah, I lived there for seven months. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is a weird time. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I've had good and bad memories of that place, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, that was a very weird time in my life like living there because mm. that's when I put on a bunch of weight and I got really sad and the last month or two that I was living there I remember just like crying a lot like I was so sad I just hated everything and that's when I was like okay I need to leave so I gave my 30 days notice and bailed mm. yeah yeah it was weird though weird time um what about your time at Brisbane Arts Theatre and, and the what are there any other places that spring to mind of like um, this was a for better or worse um, a place mm. a venue or whatever that shaped or was a, a yeah. significant part of your life and career in year 11 year 11 I got the opportunity to be in a play at Le Bois, 
just a really small role. And that was good. But the best thing that came out of that was meeting um, the guy who ran the place, Mm. David. And that was like, so that was really good. But I've got to say, Brisbane Arts Theatre, like, I walked here from the city, actually. And I, um, yeah. And I, um, I stopped by Brisbane Arts Theatre. It's just so weird. For those those listening, that's a... That's, that's a, a 4.3 k's. That's a little bit of a walk. 4.3 k's, yeah. Anyway, so I um, walked. Yeah, so my first few years out of high school, I was in a few plays there. And that taught me so much about, you know, you're reading scripts all the time. So I learned a lot about reading and writing plays just from, you know, remembering lines. And, hmm. and then working with a few directors there was really good, as well as acting on stage in these plays. Just, yeah, although it is... I feel like anyone who wants to be involved in theatre, even as a playwright or as a director, they should be on stage. Like, mm. early on, it's like, you've got to mm. get up there, act in some plays at, like, an amateur theatre company like Brisbane Arts Theatre. Because, yeah, you just learn so much about working with others and, at the very least, just discipline. Like, what it's like to show up on time, to have your lines down, to be prepared and to work in, yeah, like, a team environment. It's crucial. Mm. I think to, like, any artist, yeah, especially people wanting to get into theatre, like... Just get up on stage, go to some auditions, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's something that, like, Brisbane Arts Theatre is very special to me in that way. And, yeah, there are other venues that I've worked with. They're not with, that I've, like, hired out, but that's kind of different because I've, like, paid them money for their space, like Metro Arts and stuff, so hmm. it doesn't feel special. Okay. Whereas with Brisbane Arts, like, they gave me opportunities. Yeah, it felt yeah. a bit less like a transaction. Yeah, yeah, like, I literally was a pain for, like, they... I had nothing to offer them except, like, skill or whatever, you know? Like, they could pick someone else. Whereas with, like, Metro Arts and that, like, the business, obviously, like, if I say, hey, can I get this theatre for, like, this much for the week? Like, mm. can I say yes? Like, <laughs> right? Like, I think so. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, and we were talking we were talking about this, talking about her a little bit before we started recording, but um, someone that was involved in some of these opportunities and I know is is someone that you speak fondly of often mm. is Margie Brown Ash and yeah. could you speak a little bit of who Margie is yeah. and, and what she means to you so Margie I met her through David because my friend David introduced me to her once like four and a bit years ago anyway then I um I met her properly when I had my first studio at Metro Arts, which is where she had an art studio. And then I just hit her up one day and said, hey, like, I met you this time, like, I'm mates with David. And then she invited me over for tea. And then we hung out a few times in her studio, just talking, drinking tea, whatever. And then I remember when I was living in the studio, I was sleeping on the floor, like this wooden floor. And then she was moving studios and she couldn't take this big couch upstairs, a brown couch. Do you remember it? Did you ever see it? Like, I think so, yeah. So she gave that to me. So then the rest of the time at Metro Arts, I slept on that couch. So I just thought that was really cool. And then I didn't talk to her for a little while. Last year we were talking and then she invited me to apply for this thing in Finland. Mm-hmm. So I just got back from Finland where I was with her for like four and a bit weeks. And that's when like she really became like a really, really good mentor to me. Just telling me certain things, encouraging me to do certain things. She, um, 
supported a application that I recently submitted to this place. I, I don't think I'm talking about that, but like, yeah, so she's, yeah. Actually, um, my birthday is in two days and it's going to be at her place. She's throwing me a birthday dinner because yeah, I've never had like a birthday party or dinner Early happy birthday. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, she, I've never had, I, we were talking in Finland. I was just saying, yeah, I've never had a birthday party or dinner before because it somehow came up. And then she was like, we're throwing you on. I'm like, all right. So yeah, that'll, that'll be fun. So yeah, just little things like that that she's done. Actually, I'm having an ex- a private exhibition at her place in September mm-hmm. um, on her tennis courts. That sounds hey. exciting. Yeah. Hey. So yeah, just there are so many other ways as well. Like in Finland, I, um, I didn't have stuff to paint on. And I walked to my studio one day and there was this massive roll of canvas just like lying on the floor. And I was legit. I remember... So, yeah, I, later that day, I just walked up and gave her a hug, and I just started crying, because I was like, fuck, I started swearing, but like, yeah, I was just like, damn, like, that's like one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me. Like, this is, it wasn't even cotton, it was like linen, it was pre-primed, it was massive, and like, yeah, I asked her, like, oh, who did this, like, who, who did this, whatever, and the lady who ran the place, the, uh, who worked at the residency, she said, oh, Margie, got it for you, so I'm like, well, like, I never painted on anything that big. And yeah, so yeah, there's so many, so many things like that that she's just done for me hmm. recently. And I know like, I don't know, yeah, I have nothing but amazing things to say about her. She's beautiful. Anyway, yeah, I could talk about her forever. I have a whole mm. Margie appreciation yeah. sentiment. Yeah. For, for anyone that's met Margie, they know what kind of spirit she has and mm. um, even the small amount of contact that I've had with her she treats you like an, an old friend immediately yeah um and you you feel like you can trust her and be vulnerable with her and mm. she just wants the best for everyone it's mm. amazing um so she's she sounds like she's been a pretty influential uh mentor for you and, mm. and with you is, is there anyone is there anyone else like whether you whether or not you've met them or anything um, are there any other mentors that have that have greatly influenced you or your work? Um, with mentors, there's someone else, David, who's not. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd class him as a mentor. I suppose he is. Yeah, it's just different. It's um a bit more distant. Mm. But like we're more friends than mentors. But he is someone who, for like nine years, yeah, nine years. I first nine years ago, I first met him. Since then, he's just been nurturing to me as an artist and helping me out at a certain time. So with Margie, it's like, you know, she'll sit down and give me advice and like, whereas with David, it's just so, I'm so fortunate to just be able to have certain conversations with him and someone in his position mm. that hardly any other people would get to have. Because like with, like I was in New York for a bit and then he was there to see a show and then he just like invited me along. We hung out, we spoke about acting, we spoke about plays and yeah, it's just you can have conversations like that with a lot of people, but there's something special about being able to sit down with him and talk to him about art or theatre or like festivals, and you know, yeah. So it's yeah, I, I still don't know if mentor is the right word, but it's someone very special to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I get what you mean. It that word can have a little bit of. Mm, I think there's just different types of mentors, but yeah, yeah I suppose, yeah, he would, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I think. I think I, I think I can understand how there's a there's a benefit. I'm not sure benefits the right word, but having if you if you're fortunate enough to have mentors in whatever capacity, sometimes it sometimes you need or want that more close knit. Mm. Um, teacher isn't even the right word, but it's it's closer, and sometimes it it is beneficial in a different way when it's a little further away it's a little less often it's more of like a reminder mm. keeping keeping things in uh in th- a similar lane i think what's special about david and margie is that i know i have nothing to offer these people but they still give me time and they still converse with me they give me advice like yeah it's there's something special about that because with other people it's like okay maybe i don't know like I just know with them there's nothing I can give them in return they're mm. just there to like help me and that's like uh, yeah the, the best kind of support when you know there's no agenda like they mm. just want to be nice like uh, it's just sweet yeah and they and they they I can't I can't speak for them but it does definitely feel like that they're the kinds of people that want to nurture the next sort of mm. generation of 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 uh, it's a very lofty way to, to word it, but quite frankly, they are you know they're older than you, mm. and they want to nurture the next generation of artists. And um, I guess the the benefit that they have is experience and being able to offer some kind of opportunity. You know the fact that Margie can um, say like, do you want to do an private exhibition on the tennis court? Mm. And things like that, and and to her it might seem relatively small, but you know, to someone like you that that can one definitely mm. appreciates it and then can utilize it, it's like you can't buy that, mm. and and I think that they they know that but they don't take advantage of it. They're not taking advantage of anyone. They're like, here's something here's something small that I can do that I know mm. is going to help someone out. Yeah, it's yeah yeah I can't talk for them either, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I could. We're just gonna go down a, a <laughs> rabbit hole because yeah, I could talk about them forever. But yeah, Margie, with that exhibition thing, it's just I don't know. It's just sweet. Mm. And she, yeah, when she would talk to me about it in Finland, like a fair bit, we'd talk about it, and she always seemed like really excited. Mm. I was like, oh, she's not just saying this, and like, yeah, because she'd walk over to me and like have some other idea for it, like, yeah, oh, we should send invitations or yeah. So I don't know. It's just yeah. And it's a good sign. Fuck, I I can't wait to see her. I love her so much. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to Marky. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, um, well, this will will be out uh, after your birthday. But um, I want everyone to comment on whatever thing I've posted this on. Happy birthday, Jake. Uh, Comment... Comment for a late happy birthday for this year and an early happy birthday for next year. And that way we've covered our bases. Yeah. Um, and if you've got a tennis court... Uh, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> hit him up. Uh, he'll fill it. He'll fill it to the brim with the best the best things you've ever yeah. seen. Cool. Uh, welcome back to the Mostly Professional Podcast. I am your host, Matthew James French. I am joined once again by Jake... Moss and um, even though we are in the middle 
I want to jump back to the start. So I wanted to ask um, a little bit about Woodridge and a little bit about your childhood, um, but not in a I'm trying to psychoanalyze you kind of way. I'm curious about how you how you feel your childhood and Woodridge um, have shaped you as an artist and one pretty obvious way is um, uh, Woodridge Kid. Can you speak on that a little bit? About Woodridge, just Woodridge, growing up in Woodridge? Or, yeah. yeah. Um, it's one of those things where I don't know where to start because, mm. yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's so different than any other place I've been. Um, and yeah, I don't know where to start. Sorry. Like, I think I have a friend, um, Jack, and he's my only friend that I have from the city of Logan where Woodridge is. And there's the relationship I have with him is so different than with anyone else because it's kind of like he gets it. Mm. Like you can explain it to every people, like so many people you can say like, yeah, it's really poor or there's lots of this or lots of that there but you kind of have to live it to understand what it's like. So yeah, it's very like, you know, it's a very poor area. There are lots of, um, lots of immigrants. It's very multicultural. And uh, because of the poverty, I suppose in hand with like, hand in hand with that, it goes, um, yeah, a bit of crime. Um, and it's weird though, because for high school, I went to a private school at Southbank, like right near the city. Mm. So um, it was weird going home to that every day mm. and like walking through Woodridge to get home. And but also going to this like, you know, private all boys school. Mm. Yeah, I've seen that school. So I think um, it's affected me in a lot of ways. I definitely think it's one of those things where it's helped me relate to a lot of people because I that was like my upbringing. But then since then, I've also made friends and been associated with people who are from the opposite type of place. So it's good because, you know, if I meet someone who's, you know, poor or whatever, like, it's like, yeah, I get it. Mm. Like, I lived off two-minute noodles. Like, I remember for a while, we didn't have, um, well, most of my childhood, we didn't have a um, uh, dryer. So we used to, like, dry our clothes in the oven. And like, I remember we, for a while, we didn't have a, a washing machine. So we used to like hand wash all our clothes, which really hurts your hands after a while. So we'd hand wash our clothes, dry them in the oven. And I'm not even kidding. We used to make a lot of like um, ginger cakes and stuff. Mm. So like, I swear to God, sometimes my uniform would smell like food. Like just from he- being heated up in the oven. Yeah. It was weird. But um, yeah, there are just lots of little things that, um, yeah, it's one of those things. I don't know. It's um, I've never thought about like trying to explain it like in an interview setting but like yeah our house didn't have insulation so like it was fucking like really cold in winter really hot in the summer and yeah just so many little things that add up to like not just the house I grew up in which was housing commission but also yeah just the area like two of my friends from primary school are dead so one of them died uh, from drugs that was my best mate in primary school and a, a good friend in primary school he died because he was running away from a group of men and he got hit by a train at Logan Lee train station 
and they're just the two because I was friends with them that I know about there are probably other people from that school that have died that I just don't know about but um so they just think yeah it's yeah I don't know again that's something I could talk about for hours because there's so many aspects of like growing up in a place like that mm. yeah where you're not being understood by people that's why I love my friendship with Jack because like he gets it or um yeah I was always ashamed of it too like with the train home and on the train to school I used to get off at Trinder Park so which meant I had to walk a bit further every day but I just didn't want to be seen getting off Woodridge because I was so ashamed of like living there mm. yeah just yeah so many things like like that yeah but so that's influenced my work now because like it's kind of like the idea of knowing that um like there's nowhere to go but like up so it's like it's kind of like the idea of having nothing to lose like worst comes worst what I end up in housing commission in Woodridge so kind of in a little way like without sounding like tacky or whatever like it adds a sense of like not fearlessness because I'm afraid of a lot of things but well it's interesting you say that because I was just thinking that word yeah it's just it adds a sense of like yeah I have nothing to lose like what's the worst that can happen like mm. happen you know like whereas I think a lot of people that I've spoken with about art or you know they think oh but what if it doesn't work out you know I want to have a safe career and all this and it's like I've seen what happens if things go south because that was my childhood mm. so it's like it's, you know, that's not bad like yeah, that's where I end up. It's alright. It's worth it. Like mm. worth going for it. Yeah, because I can see that. What do you mean? Reflected in well, the the talks of like, well, how bad can it be? I've already sort of done it. Mm. You know, with with what you've talked about with sleeping on the floor at Metro Arts, and you know the the things that you've done overseas have not necessarily been cushy. Mm. They're not necessarily um staying in a fancy hotel and being hand fed and everything mm. it's like it it can give off that illusion like i did a thing overseas and mm. it's like yeah but it's all of my own dime like yeah. i've never received a grant or anything like yeah it's like everything whenever i do a trip overseas or anything it's always like me paying for it like mm. and also something else i realized with woodridge is that like i think that's what gives me drive mm. is that i know like Although I know, okay, worst comes worst, I end up the, end up back there. And yeah, maybe I say, like, yeah, it's not bad, whatever. But at the, end, at the same time, I don't want to go back. Mm. Like, I don't want to... There's a certain life where it's like, I don't I can't, I can't, don't want to do that again. Yeah. So I know that that gives me the drive to, like, you know, just work and keep busy and keep productive. Yeah. Because it's like, I know what happens if things do go bad. Mm. So yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's weird how I can see it as a... Uh, nothing to lose but I also see it as I don't want to yeah lose it's not necessarily I've got nothing to lose so why bother mm. it's like I can handle it but I also don't want that yeah like I want to I want to have a family and I want to give them a really good life mm. so that like drives me forward yeah mm. yeah and I can see and I can also see that in the scope of things that you do and the things that you try which probably all kind of stems from, again, that attitude of, you know, what's the worst that can happen and if I don't, then I'll, you know, I'll regret it later type mm. thing. Because as I said in the introduction of the last episode about the things that you've done, the, the different art forms that you've explored, 
either currently or at one point. You know, it it all sounds like a a lot of um, wanting to try new things, trying to experiment, try new places, and it all stems from that. It's also the idea or the reality that um not everyone's as lucky as I am. Not everyone has like the drive or motivation or whatever and yeah it's like I've already mentioned three of my mates that have died hmm. and two of them from Woodridge one from high school and uni and there are others that have died as well so it's like it's not even yeah not even just waking up being 50 and thinking oh, I wish I went for it but also might not be waking up when I'm 50 so yeah. like I just don't yeah I don't understand it when people don't chase things that they're passionate about like I don't get that because every now and then someone like will come up in conversation someone will you know say that they like how I live my life or whatever but I don't think it's yeah I don't know it's not it just makes sense to me like it's not mm. a weird thing it's not like a, yeah. yeah it's not an oppressive thing or anything it's just it would be weird if I didn't do this it'd be weird if I did have like a normal job and yeah I don't know I was just thinking of you in an office. It was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do it. And not like, not like in your new, not like you in there like vandalizing something and like mm. putting up 17 murals. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Woodridge and my upbringing definitely has like a massive influence on not just my work, but the way I work as well. Yeah. Because yeah. something that I've I've noticed with some artists in, in various disciplines with people's um, attitude towards their where they came from and their upbringing. Mm. Some people really, really, really go supportive of it. And even if it was good or bad. Mm. I'm like, I came from this place and I'm proud to be this from here and what happened to me made me who I am today mm. and some people do the complete opposite and they completely like wipe their past from their from their like personality and their work as if like and sometimes I get it because if, if it's something negative mm. but for example you've got Woodridge Kid you've got Trinder Park mm. which are the titles of works of yours mm. which I can see as a way of maybe just acknowledging because some of those things are semi-autobiographical autobiographical yeah um i think yeah it's one of those things where it's just accepting who you are or who you've been and the influence that things have on you and yeah i've started working on ways to like reconnect with woodridge and logan Last year I met with the assistant principal and what we're doing is um, at St. Paul's Primary School, which is the primary school and like the parish where I used to be an altar boy. I mm. went to that primary school and that's where two of my friends are from that died. We're doing a um, a scholarship that mm. I'm paying for. So like it'll be a memory of those boys and pretty much I pay for... I don't want to talk about this. No, no. That's so weird. That's weird to talk about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm looking for ways to like, yeah, reconnect with, um, yeah, that place. Because, mm. like, 
because I feel like now I get so much from it because now I'm like okay yeah like that's who I am that's where I'm from and all those memories inspire me and stuff and I think okay this is helping me so much now as an adult I also want to give back to it yeah yeah Mm. does it make you feel a little more at peace either um incorporating it or or acknowledging it or even contributing back to it instead of um for some because again for some people they ignore it they they push it away how how do you feel about the direction you've gone with it because it seems like you haven't gone a hundred percent back to it but you've definitely acknowledged it i think um there are many reasons why like i like making stuff but one of them is to you know connect with people and what i like is the idea that not all of my works but some of them like um i like the idea this may not have happened but i like the idea that maybe some kid from a place like woodridge could like read a book i write about woodridge or whatever and then it might help them think like oh like a bit of pride maybe Mm. a bit of like oh like yeah, I'm from this place that's poor or has certain levels of crime or whatever. But then they also think, oh, but that's sick book. And put it this way, the only like celebrity to come out of Woodridge is Darren Hayes from Savage Garden. Hmm. And when I found out, it would be like eight or nine, I found out that he was from Woodridge and I fell in love with their music. I loved it. Hmm. And like that made me, actually I was on school camp once in year nine and they were talking about Savage Garden and then I let it slip I'm like oh he like lived literally like three streets away from me and then the camp instructor was like oh he lives in Woodridge I was like oh okay maybe it's more than three streets because like I was so ashamed of being Woodridge that I didn't even want to like I'd rather lie I'd rather tell them I was lying Mm. than tell them the truth which is oh yeah I live there Mm. so like I don't want kids to feel like that I want kids to know that yeah it's okay like to be from a certain area or a certain upbringing yeah so that's definitely a big part of why I want to um, talk about that in my work like mm. growing up in certain areas yeah 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 I can totally respect that mm. um, I've never had quite the same level of, of feeling about where I grew up and, and that kind of thing and, and partially that's because nothing super super positive or super negative came from that it was quite quite no it was was positive but it was was like calm Mm. positive um and i guess to an extent that um has made me in at certain times in my life like wonder am i Am I appreciating or am I acknowledging where I've come from or what I've done or what I've been through for better and worse? And I can at least I can respect that with the with at least kind of like reflection, mm. self reflection in and out of the, of the work. Um, and oh, that's and and I definitely have never had that direct feeling of like oh someone from where I grew up is like this but Mm. on a broader sense of for example when I was younger and every actor I could think of was American Mm. and thinking like Australia is stupid and we got nothing good here Mm. and then 
one, you grow up and you get a bit less immature, mm. but you you hear like, oh, this person grew up in Queensland, this person grew up in Brisbane, mm. and you, if it makes you feel less insecure about where you come from. What suburb did you grow up in? I grew up in Kawongba on the north side of Brisbane. Don't even know. What's yeah, that and near? a lot of people don't even know what's where that it is. What's it near? What's it near? Petrie. Oh yeah, my dad used to live there. He yeah. he recently moved from there because we moved out of Woodridge and he moved to the north side. Yeah. yeah, that's right. There you go. But that's the that's the most common mm. uh, conversation that I usually ever have about that. Was mm. where'd you grow up? Here. Where's that? Petrie. Which may or may not matter in the long term, but for when I was a bit more insecure as a kid, I was like. Well, where I grew up is insignificant, hmm. and that's not the that's not the worst thing to feel about. I, I'd, ra- you- I'd rather be insignificant <laughs> than than a place that's like has a reputation at all. Yeah, so that was my silly sort of thought hmm. about the reputation of where I grew up. Even like a lack of reputation, it didn't occur to me. Hmm. But now that I think about it, as I'm older, it's like well. Here's, here's what I liked about it that I can remember. Here's what I didn't. Um, you know, and when I go out there to visit my um, parents or when they when they lived there, when I go out there, mm. I'm like, because I don't live, I live about an hour away from there and I go out there and I go, I enjoyed growing up here mm. or it's not as bad as you think it was or just just acknowledge that it did have an impact on you. Because mm. I think that sometimes pushing it away like this had no factor on me whatsoever mm. is a bit silly. Mm. It's like, can you seriously expect 18 years or however many years of living in a place to have no impact on you at all, for better or worse? Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting people's relation the place that they grew up and sometimes it's because of a a negative thing sometimes it's positive as i said earlier like things only mean as much as you want them to yeah so like if i wanted to i could be one of those people that oh yeah like don't even talk about where you're from or anything yeah and you can let it own you but there was a point where i realized no i'm gonna i want to talk about this like i want to make this mean a lot to me and now it means everything to me where i come from so i think that yeah, if you yeah if you want where you come from to mean a lot to you, I'm sure you could think of ways of doing that. Just think about it. If you're, if no one knows where that is, <laughs> and no one knows what it's like, has no reputation, I straight away think that's amazing because you get to be people's first impression of that place. Mm. That's cool. Like you can, you, you can own that. Yeah. 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 All right. So, oh wait, you do your intro thing. Um. Welcome back, <laughs> and we're doing a we're doing a quick quick record because uh, we have been talking about upbringing, and um, I was talking about Jake has for for lack of a better word he had a difficult upbringing, and I'm saying that from what I've heard he may or may not say the same thing. Definitely in comparison to me, I've had it. Pretty fucking easy. Um, but we were talking about um, perspective and um, 
when 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 Jake was talking about um, Woodridge and and bike, my bike being stolen. Yeah, the the bike. The shit on the front yard. Someone took a shit on our front yard. And talking and and talking about people that say, you know, well, I had a tough childhood. And it's been my experience that most people that complain about that usually had it pretty good. Mm. And it's because they had it pretty good that they can complain about it. It's so it's a mm. weird dynamic. It, it was 14 years ago today. It was uh, July 11, 2005. It was a Monday. My mum literally strangled me in a uh, public car park. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, like I would have... I don't know, I wouldn't say who, but I've had friends who've, like, come from, like, good homes and, like, financially secure homes. Mm. And, like, their parents wouldn't do anything like that to them. And in high school, they'd talk about maybe having it tough or whatever. And I just thought, like, it's weird because you don't want to, like, you don't want to assume that they don't. Mm. But I was a teenager, and as a teenager, I remember thinking, like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe, maybe there's things I don't know about, though. But that, how do you, because even it, 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 it makes me annoyed to hear it, but how do you feel about, I don't want to turn into some 50 year old man, but people our age, anyone in general, but people our age, doing the, pulling the, oh, I'm so broke card, because um, it bugs me. You, know, you mean, wait, when anyone or just older people? No, like, when, when younger people do it. Yeah. I mean, older people do it too, but less. Mm. I don't know, I've never used that as an excuse, especially if we're talking about art even. Like, I don't like mean to, I don't mean like your actual growing up. I mean Britain now, yeah. People that are living in okay share houses in, mm. in Red when, Hill and uh, they spent too much on beer, so they say I'm so broke because they can't go to the festival next month. Yeah, see, whenever I do something, like have a, a book launch or something, there are always people saying they want to come or whatever, but they don't have money. I'm just thinking, well, like, I don't mind. Because like it doesn't make a difference to me. Like I don't care, but I do feel for them in a way. Because I'm like, really, like mm. you want to do something, but you don't have money for it. Like I think that's just being like smart financially. It's like if you want to, I don't know. I think these days, especially with like Centrelink and things, mm. you, people, anyone saying I don't have money, or I, I'm too broke to do something they want to do. Um, it's like how like, do you have a budget for like different projects or what I budget personal budget yeah of course yeah well like not really budget I'm just not an idiot with money like that's I had this friend and he taught me a lot about money hmm. and yeah that's money's one of those things that it doesn't matter how much you have if you're good with what you do have hmm. you can get by I was telling my mate Danny about this yesterday or today sometime saying oh yeah even when I don't have much money like it goes in waves or whatever I always it never affects my happiness it mm. like I'm always doing what I want to do I'm always I always have food like yeah I don't know it's um yeah I don't know if I have like an actual budget but I'm just mm. I don't write shit down like financially but I um okay like I don't, I don't waste money yeah like, yeah because I started a budget, mm. not started a budget. I did the, I did the most accurate budget mm. um, last week, and I've been keeping an eye on it um, because 
I've caught myself, uh, I've stopped myself saying that kind of thing mm. from now on because it's like, no, you're being irresponsible with your money. Mm. You're not broke. Because yeah. I live comfortably. Mm. And most people that say that live relatively comfortably mm. and they're being irresponsible to some degree. And, I, and I'm sure that you, mm, this is an assumption, you could probably tough it out more than some people who have always had it good. In Finland, I literally, um, so they gave, a part of the deal was that we got breakfast Monday to Friday. Every other meal, I lived off almonds and Margie will back that up. So that's part of like the budget. It's also a health thing. I want to lose a bit of fat, but it was like, yeah, like let's live off almonds for a bit. Or well, same with, um, I think that's another good thing about how Woodridge growing up like that has influenced me is that I can do it tough. And for me, I don't even think of it as being tough. Whereas if someone else was like, yeah. or like all the other artists that were in Finland were like, are you fucking crazy? You're like living off almonds. They just see me there nibbling almonds. Yeah. And they'd be like, who the fuck is this guy eating almonds? I'm just like, it's just, it's just discipline. That's yeah. same with like being celibate and different things like that. Discipline has become like a big part of my life, I think. Hmm. Um, just having control of like what I do. Like, there, don't get me wrong. There are still times where like, I don't want to say it. But anyway, like... With the control I'm not the like, discipline can grant freedom. Yeah, that's why, yeah, it's good to... um. I suppose same with dieting, how like uh, people have cheat days. Like yeah. if you're disciplined, if you have certain control, there can be times where you're like, fuck it boys, let's get fucked up tonight. Like let's drink yeah. a lot and party. But that's even like within the bracket. It's like yeah. I've planned yeah, yeah. the splurge. Yeah, so um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, discipline's like a big part of my life. And yeah, if I, I don't think I've ever done it that tough, except maybe studio days where I literally like, had to go to the gym to shower mm. but um yeah so if i hear other people complain about certain things again like i don't want to be that guy but it's absolutely true that i'm just there thinking but at the same time i f feel really good for them because like they think they're doing it tough they have a good life like yeah that's pretty cool if you think yeah. doing it tough is like oh, i only have 20 bucks to last me for the next week it's not that bad like yeah. 20 bucks coals have six frozen meat pies for 355 you can literally get like six of those that'll last you a week yes mm. you like you get six meat pies a day like 20 bucks can easily last you like so long mm. you know so yeah i oh, know yeah see like yeah yeah and people complain about like not having food or not having this i'm like dude yeah. a bag of oats is like you bought a dollar fifty two bucks for a big bag of oats yeah get that and then one liter milk you're set for breakfast for, like a week like yeah. Yeah, and, and that's it's, like three bucks, four bucks. And it is, I think, I think because it's it's the sentiment. It's like, uh, I'm not living comfortably enough. Mm. It's not, I've or or like out. It's 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 not taking responsibility, in some way, because the people that, the people that have been responsible with their money and mm. say, um, I would love to. But I'm unable to. It's not like I'm still broke at the moment. They mm. they go. I'd like to, but if I'm going to pay for the things I have to do, mm. I have to sacrifice this. And sometimes that means they can't have fun, or sometimes that means they they don't eat the, the highest quality meal or the most enjoyable thing. Mm. Um, and that 
usually is the difference between, you know, the, the I'm so broke attitude and the, well, not this time because I'm making sure that I'm looking long term. Because with, yeah, because with my budget at the moment, there are definitely some things that I can cut down on. And when I went grocery shopping this week, I was like, don't get the fancy one, get the basic one. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't, you don't need this many of this thing because you might not eat it in time mm-hmm. and then it goes off and you're just wasting money on food. I just realized I said Coles before, I meant Woolies. Woolies have um, $3.55 meat really? buyers for a six pack. We are sponsored by Woolies. Yeah. Um, uh, Matt is vegan and does not condone eating meat pies. <laughs> Kill but, the animals. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, um, no, um, I, I just, I just, get your oats. I have a story about this if we have much time. Yeah, um, yeah, we got 10 minutes. Okay, so I went hunting last year. Ooh, okay. So I went with this, I won't say who they are, how I know them, but I went this, with, with this. Was it bow hunting? No, um, with this group of guys, so lots of guns. And they owned the massive property. Um, and there was this point where I had the gun and... There was a kangaroo there mm. and okay, I'll skip that bit. There was another bit where this person shot a kangaroo. Right. And I'm an eat a meat eater. Mm. I know I'm gonna I knew I was gonna eat meat the next day, like I know I'm gonna eat uh, I know I eat meat. And it was this so I didn't kill it. But it did need to be like chopped up and stuff. Just so to, put, to preserve it and things like that. And mm. it wasn't just going to be left there. Like, you're going to use the meat, yep. use the bones, like, use everything. So I knew there was this... I didn't want to do it. Like, I thought, I don't know, I'd chop up a roux. Mm. But then, at the same time, like, I'd feel like a massive hypocrite. If I'm going to keep eating meat and keep condoning and being a part of the reason why so many animals are killed, then I should probably stop being a fuckwit and just chop this roux up. It's kind of like, hey, if you're going to be a part of something, own it. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to eat a Big Mac or I'm going to eat this. And then like, oh, I don't want to hurt a kangaroo and pretend I'm like a saint all of a sudden. Yeah. So I did. I chopped it up. We got like everything. Hmm. And it's one of those things where like, if you tell someone this, they'll think horrible things, but they eat meat. So who's the, like... Yeah. At least I'm not like a hypocrite. Like, yeah. You know? And yeah. it's like, and well, the animal's already dead. But like, it's just one of those things where it's interesting how like, it wasn't trophy hunting. Like it was hunting for food and everything. But mm. it's still just interesting how some people will, again, I haven't been since, I haven't been before. Mm. But it was just that thing where it's like, if I don't do this, um, like what does that mean I am? I'm just a massive hypocrite. Like, Yeah. And yeah, it's, it, everything was used. The meat was used for eating. The bones were given to the dogs. Like it was, yeah. It's just interesting how like, like I like talking about this with people because they all have different views. Obviously you're vegan, so your views are pretty, um, I assume. But, that, fairly... but the decision that you made to go forward with it mm. is the decision that I realized I wouldn't be able to or want to do and that's totally fair because you're a vegan and stuff but if you were someone who eats meat every no, day that's what's what i mean i used to eat meat when mm. i was a kid i wanted to work in a butcher shop did, i forced huh you didn't you wanted to though? i did when i was a kid you did i work. wanted oh you wanted. when i was a child i wanted mm. to work in a butcher shop mm. it wasn't because i wanted to cut up animals it was because i like the smell mm. it's weird i think it was because of the fucking bleach on the like fucking sicko weird 
Um, I was the one that convinced my mum to buy liver and kidneys and mm. try all these organ meats and offal. Mm. Um, when my my Polish nana came to Queensland um, for the first time in years, probably decades, I was like, Nana, can you cook rabbit for me? Because mm. it's like a traditional Polish rabbit mm. thing. So like she did that. Um, and I at one point was like, I'm going to try every edible animal that there is. Mm. It was years ago. Mm. Uh, and now I'm kind of the complete opposite, but mm. I've, but I, when I have thought about that thing of if I'm going to eat it, I should be able to kill it. And I go, I don't want to kill it. And I'm like, well, then I've got no See, justification to do that. Do. But because I knew I'm going to eat meat, it's like, and you decided yes. And I decided no, yeah, but, it, but we made, both the, sides. We, yeah, we made the decision though. Where, yeah. People, cause they're having people who've like tried to give me stuff about doing that but I'm like we're eating meat right now <laughs> like you know you're eating meat you know hmm. it's just facing the reality of this is it this hmm. is what happens and uh, shooting an animal in the head and it dies instantly um, I can only assume that's better than all these horrible stories you hear about how they're tortured and shit and now they're like cut up alive and all, whatever you hear about from Peter Peter is that he said yeah so it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. I like, I think it's interesting just talking about and hearing people's views and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm fine with being a lot of things, but I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Mm. So if I ever think, um, I'm, this is a bit hypocritical of me to think this, I try and like yeah. work that out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cause I've had the same thing on, on my side of like, is like, should I, should I have gotten rid of my leather jacket that I had te from 10 years ago? Should I have donated that? Um, I have it. Mm. I know where, what it's made of. Mm. Um, and I'm hesitant to wear it for like the, the thought of, does this promote it? But in other regards, um, I think about, you know, is, should I be driving? You know, is me driving around burning fossil fuels? Mm. Is that is that hypocritical of me? All these kinds of things, um, and I can talk to you, and I can talk to you, and I'm and I respect the thought that you've actually given the decisions that you make. Mm. Um, I don't agree with that, but I don't, but I have, but I'm not going to go. Well, have you even thought about it? Because you have. Mm. Like and I have it. more. I have more respect for that than someone that's just going. Oh, it's what I've always done, or mm -hmm. some absent-minded. Because with people that change their diet or move countries or do something significant, mm. you want to you want to know that they've actually thought about it. Mm. And if the reason is I don't know, or um, it's what I've always done, it's like it, it just doesn't seem like a real decision. Mm. You know, it's absent-minded, like people that decide to join or unfollow a religion or make a massive diet shift. Um, there's a level of respect I have for that of like, that was a decision that took a lot of consideration. Mm. You know, it wasn't just, oh, I felt like it. It's a commitment. Yeah. If and they stick it, to it. And it's also like, if they're honest, it's also like choosing an identity as well. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you do want to identify as being, like, religious or, like, because you have to do it fully, you know, like, mm. going to church and all that. Like, yes, someone's not going to just become religious 
you know, like actually become religious if they haven't thought a lot about it. Yeah. Mm. Unless they're just doing it in the most shallow, you know, like label kind yeah. of way. Really, which is not, they're not really doing it then, are they? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I think that's even, it even has the same carryover to being an artist of some degree. Like you say, I'm a writer. Okay. What do you write? Well, I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's like, oh, I don't know if you should be. It's weird because I, um, I, I don't want to be really negative and stuff, but at the same time, I could talk forever about that shit. Yeah. That people, but then they, that's again, another group, another type of person that I feel sorry for in a way. Cause like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> like, oh, I'm this or I'm that. It's like, oh, what have you done? Oh, like, like you said, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking it's like, oh, mm. poor person. Like they, they're not even what they think they are. Yeah. <laughs> like you think you're a writer. You haven't, you don't write. Like it's sad. Like I can't imagine being like that. It's like horrible for the ego mm. and horrible for like self-worth and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It almost, it, it can be like a, like a trapped inside another, like I'm a writer trapped inside an office worker's body. Like sometimes that's the reality of People it. People say this shit like that. Oh, I've never heard that. Oh, yeah. That exact phrasing. Mm. But there are people that are like, I'm afraid to take the leap to do something. And some people are just lazy. Yeah, there's some people within what we're talking about now, some of them I feel sorry for. And some of them I just don't. Like yeah. they just, yeah, it's a sun. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if you've ever done this, but like there are some acting resume things like there's a on showcast for example that i have mm. so on that it has all my credits and my training and things like that and it has the special skills area some people take all of them and some people take all of them they're like yeah i juggled once that's fucked it's like we've all juggled once mm. um are you a juggler <laughs> like well, i've thought about juggling and that 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 can translate over to so many things and it, I, I think it yeah it often comes down to fear or laziness I think it's one of those things where people just don't want to miss an opportunity where if they get an audition and they need juggle for it they'll think fuck it I'll learn how to juggle in a day so they just don't want to miss an opportunity actually I think I don't know if I was talking to uh, Ben uh, Parkinson about this mm. I think I was maybe I was a bit on the piss but I think it was him who was telling me about something about riding a horse and then he would get people in and then they had to learn how to ride a horse or something like that. Like they'd tick the thing saying they can ride a horse and then yeah, they couldn't. I think it was him, yeah. Yeah, people just tick boxes, they can't actually do. It would be yeah, really weird when they get to like the audition or something and they can't do it. It's like just cringy. Yeah, so being the boss, being the kind of like creative <laughs> director. Yeah, it means like I can like what we were just talking about during the break, is that um, I'd never auditioned people for the plays or whatever that I've done. So the day I met Michael Allen, who was the lead actor in Sex Shop, he was in year 12. He did drama at school. I'd never seen him act at all. And I just said, like, yeah, do this thing. And I paid him and everything. And that was one of the best decisions ever because that guy was just perfect. And the other two actors in the play were great too. And I didn't, I'd worked with two of them before. One of them just in like workshops, the other I'd acted in a, in a play with. But yeah, I just knew like this is gonna be good, and yeah, that was 
yeah the good thing about being like the boss of like the stuff i do is i can just do stuff like that whereas if i was at a theater company they'd be like um, i don't know how they work but i'm pretty sure they'd be like oh uh, yeah yeah exactly whereas like i can just meet this kid and be like fuck it i'm like i want to put him in a play and i can just do it like and same with like control of other things like opening night for is it pussy in heaven i gave everyone free wet pussy shots it's like i can just do i don't know it's like hmm. i think that's why i really like doing things on the level i do them now so even though maybe i don't have the budget to reach a larger audience or to get a bigger or to get a bigger audience so i can do bigger venues or anything like that the good thing about it though is that with what i do have i can do like whatever i want with so yeah, free wet pussy shots, casting whoever I want. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I don't know, I just, I want to give people like something special, but it's hard to do that if I was like working a part of a bigger group, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. And that not being tied down or under some kind of structure or, or regiment mm. can also mean like, oh, well, I'm going to do music now. I'm going to paint this and like exactly mix things like, up and change on the fly and just be like, that's another good thing about not having received grants or anything is that obviously if I got like, if I want to do an exhibition, if I got a grant, it's like, okay, maybe now I can't paint whatever I want. Mm. Cause it's like, I'm pretty sure if someone from the art grant council, whatever it is, if they walked in and saw like these certain paintings, they might be like, Oh, uh, what? <laughs> Give us our money back. Yeah. I don't know if they would, but, like, I just have no fear of that. There's nothing that I, like, owe yeah, anyone. Well, with, yeah, with a bare money, there's some kind of and if, guide, not even, like, guidelines. And if I did have someone else's money, I would I would want to respect that. Mm. Whereas I don't, like, I wouldn't want to be a dick. I wouldn't want to do stuff they weren't happy with. Yeah. So, in a way, like, yeah, I don't even want their money. Because, like, then I'd feel bad and I'd feel, you know, I mm. just like doing whatever I want. <laughs> and, like, I don't know, just... Oh, no. not to put down artists that do receive grants though because like that's sick like they get grants they get free money that's amazing yeah but they but they definitely have the same thoughts and concerns of like is this gonna stifle future possibilities or yeah. so i think that's why I, yeah i do like just because like the yeah. extremity of that is corporate art mm. and like what does that look like mm. yeah it's like i don't know i'm very not comfortable because you know but i'm happy with where i am now and how i work how i do things hmm. yeah good stuff yeah self-funding and mm, yeah um so i mean on that uh it's like a it might be a little bit of a drier topic but i think some people would be interested to know about your selling some of your work online and um what type of work what do you mean like so you've got written work on your website i've written work though so the books which sold out a, a few years ago earlier this year i was like okay i'll put them online as like a download hmm. i think i got rid of that page actually maybe it's, no it's not it's there as of like two days ago so like i put it back there hmm. but um, well, i was having a look at it before we yeah yeah, yeah so it's back there now but um yeah they yeah they can get that there but hmm. yeah because what I mean by that is I think that there's people and it's it depends on the medium it depends on how you want to do it mm. but 
for example, you've got written work bits of because there's people who are like, I want to create, I want to have that help me financially. Mm. You know, it's not like it's all about the money, but it doesn't hurt. Mm. And to me, that's an example of you can do that yourself. Mm. Here's a way to do it. Um, and maybe stop complaining about it and look into it. Mm. And when I was having a look at, at your website and having a look at the store on there, I didn't feel like I was being sold anything. I didn't feel like I was being pushed at. Mm. I was just like, if you want it, it's available. I think it's one of those things. So um, if people want something, everything's so accessible these days. Mm. If someone wants something, like, yeah, they, I don't need to like, again, not putting down people that do this because what works for them is different than what works for me but I always just feel better about not pimping stuff out a lot mm. and like yeah some, like I was saying earlier how like I don't mind if like I don't get like a shout out or if someone's like oh don't forget to follow Jake here or here it's like if someone's really that interested right now they can just look me up yeah. and same with like books like yeah if someone's that interested they can just yeah, I don't want I don't want you to feel like you're being sold something. Like mm. it's there if you want it, but like I'm not gonna say thanks for downloading my book before you've downloaded it or what you know. Mm. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad that you said that because like that's what I want. I don't want people to feel like you know I'm always shoving my stuff down their throats. Yeah, because yeah. there is, and I think that this is a positive thing. I think that there is a rise and an increase, and this is because of the internet, that there are artists that are now able to become more financially stable through their work. Mm. Visual artists are able to get commissions and sell prints and shirts and, and things like that more easily uh, because of the internet. I think that's great. I think there are written word artists that can sell their books and um scripts and and things online again in a way that isn't necessarily pushing in people's faces Mm. and i agree with what you were saying about the thing the the way that things are so accessible that if you you want it it's pretty easy to find things you know how to google you know how to facebook you know how to search things yeah like i mean i would differ on the on the side of i would want to make it easier for Mm. people to look it up but again uh when i looked looked you up tonight on google because i was curious like what does it look like when i just google you mm-hmm. it's like oh there you go that wasn't so hard yeah yeah see like yeah i don't know it's yeah i know and that matters to me too because like yeah it'd be easy to like make it more uh, not accessible but more visible mm. but like you know that i sell books online or that you know whatever but yeah it just wouldn't feel right if i was like yeah but that's not your focus yeah that's it yeah and also, yeah, the amount of, not to talk finances, but the amount I make from books is significantly less than what I make through paintings. Mm. So, like, yeah, it's not, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to miss out on dinner if people don't buy my book this week. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. yeah, I don't really have, like, a need to, like, advertise it and, you know, yeah. Because, again, um, not, to, not to talk details on the finance, some of the, the ways that you've, um, I'm going to hate saying this, make Say a living mm. from um, some of your work is, is getting commissioned for private, um, well, let's call them private paintings, private 
artworks, pieces, whatever. Very, but, um, various things. I've only I've only ever done a few commission pieces because like I'll I'll sell. So how I sell paintings is either there are three ways. At an exhibition, which I do once a year. So once a year, I'll do an exhibition, a public one. I'll sell paintings there. Then there'll also be private sales, just through like tomorrow. I'm meeting a guy at Goma, um, and he's bought paintings from both of my Australian exhibitions. And there's something that I'm doing in the future that I can't talk about, but he's helping me, like with that. Hmm. So I have people like him that are yeah. like private collectors that like buy my stuff kind of regularly. So exhibitions through like private collectors. And then the third way would be once every year at the end of the year, I do like a public sale on Instagram, like really cheap paintings. And then that is another way I sell paintings. Mm. But, um, and then, yeah, I've only ever done a few like commission pieces because normally with the private sales, I'll finish them and then I'll send people like a PDF with like a bunch of paintings, dimensions, prices, just to like the people that buy my stuff privately. Mm. And um, yeah, I've done a few commissions. I recently did a commission. I got commissioned by Mark Eaton of Eaton Management, the um, acting manager dude. Yeah, I'm familiar. And um, Margie's commissioned me to do a painting as well. But that's only like become a regular thing where it's like, okay, because there's a few things lined up. I think people are more like, okay, let's get into a painting. Whereas in the past, it would yeah, just be people buying things I've already done. But yeah, because that's, yeah, I make a significant amount more from paintings than from books. Yeah, I don't feel a need to like, that's why I took the books off my website for a while. I'm like, I don't need this here. Like, mm. I'd rather it just be like a portfolio. But then I realized like yesterday or the day before, like, okay, yeah. like, I shouldn't stop people if they want to download a book just yeah. have it there like they can yeah yeah because I think what I've noticed is that when people really do want to support you um, specifically or when when people want to support artists or people that are making stuff mm. and they they're like I like your work I want to buy a thing that you produce or they want to support you in some way, they're very honest and they're they're like, no, I want to give you my money. You're not tricking me. I don't feel tricked. I've had this conversation with people trying to convince me before like to take their money. Yeah. But, um, and, and I, and I can understand not wanting to or wanting to, hmm. but I think that that's a good thing that there are people that are like, I understand that you may or may not be super financially well off anyway Mm. or i value the thing you make here's a way to exchange values yeah i pay for your painting i pay Mm. for your book and i think that again with the way that like your website for example is set up it feels like a portfolio and there's a very subtle option to to pay to access certain things Mm. and i think that is the difference between selling it being the forefront Mm. Again, no disrespect to artists that make um, money off their work. A lot of them, like, I commend them for being able to do that. Mm. Um, I'm sure they'd much rather do that than suffering in some other way. Um, but yeah, it's a different approach. And people can, can see it. You know, the people aren't dumb. Mm. They, they can feel when they're being, like, 
forcefully push towards buying something. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's hard to talk on what works for other people or not. But like the way I do it, like yeah, that just works for me. So I feel like most comfortable doing that. Mm. But um, and yeah, yeah, like yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because I've had the opposite bad thought. What do you mean? Of what can I make that then I can sell? And I've, but that's the thing is I've caught that thought of like, ah, that's not the point. I am, I'm a massive fan of a lot of people, but Andy Warhol and what he did, how he combined business and art. Mm. So like, I am a mix of like, I don't like, I do that. I make stuff that I want to sell, but it's, it never diminishes the artistic integrity of the piece. Like, Mm. It's always, if anything, it helps it. Cause like, hey, okay, let's make this a bit more commercial. But it's never, I would never do something just because I think it's gonna sell. Yeah. So like, the play title is a pussy in heaven. I knew like that would work and that'd get young people in. Yeah. But that also had a meaning, like the context in the play of like when that line is said and yeah. how he says that line because he's a young teenage boy, he's horny, he's a teenage kid, he talks like that. And he's about to kill himself. And he's mm. literally a virgin and is just wondering, like, I wonder if there's pussy in heaven. Mm. So it's like, it's so much more, like, sincere yeah. than someone who might think, oh, is there pussy in heaven? What a horrible what a catchy title. title. Yeah, well, what a horrible title. Like, what, how rude. But it's like, no, it's actually sad as fuck. Like, mm. so, like, although I knew that title would sell and get people in, yeah. it's also, that still has a lot of artistic value. It's very interesting that we're talking about this specifically. Because mm. I have a day job in a bookstore. Which bookstore? Uh, I'm not sure if I should be saying that. Uh, future Matt, blurt that out if you have to. Yeah. Um, Which, one? Which one? Which <laughs> one? We, we're very blurp, blurping shit out. Blurping? Beeping shit out? Anyway. Beeping shit out. I work at... True. Yeah. I yeah I know a priest that lives across the road from there. There you go. Mm. Um, Father Paul Chandler, hello. There is a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I've heard about it. And lots of people like it. Lots of people have bought it. I've sold thousands of them. Mm. Then, then I started noticing people hopping on the trend of putting of putting naughty words in the titles of their book to you, catch attention. You know who did it first? Uh, was it Michelle Knight? I really wanted you to say my name. <laughs> I really wanted you to say my name. Sookie Guns. Anyway, yeah, what were you saying? <laughs> Trademark. Yeah. Trademark Jake Boss putting swears in titles. Yeah, I really wanted you to... Yeah, I, I set you up in everything. When, does, like, when yeah. did Sookie Guns come out? 2015. I'll have to check the publication date of um, Life Changing... No, Life Changing Magic. Subtle Art. That's, that only came out last year, didn't it? Don't know. I have to double check. You work at a bookshop. <laughs> Dude. I think it came out last year. Um, probably like a year or two ago. Yeah. But anyway, I, just, I then started noticing all these books that were like, stop giving a shit. Mm. Life ain't so crappy. Mm. And it's like, ah, man, it feels cheap. Mm. You're not doing this because this was your idea. You're doing it just because, uh, yeah, because of the trend. Mm, that's you know? right. And it's like you can people can feel it, mm. um, especially when you're closer to mm. all the all the the location of those things. Even the title of Suki comes has context because in the in the in the book, it's the the main character is he calls people sugikons and they're on a train. He like in in a monologue he thinks of them as sugikons because they're complaining about things that aren't a big deal at all so i love it when someone says something about that title because they are being so you can't it's like you're complaining about something that doesn't really matter yeah so i think that's funny 
It's just like life imitating art. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Sorry, you said that was leading into something. No, it was it was about it was about that specifically. Oh, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. title mm. Is There Pussy in Heaven mm. actually has context, actually has meaning. Same with Suki Cunts, yeah. Same with Suki Cunts. And I'm sure the subtle art of not giving a fuck mm. was one the actual intentional meaning of the title. Mm. Um and it's catchy, sure. People people know it's catchy, whatever. Mm. But then when people started jumping on the bandwagon... Yeah, and kind it's of like... like ah, you didn't do that because it's what you felt was right. Now, was... That, now they're just making noise because they're just yeah. doing the same shit. Yeah. Um, I love titles. I love good title. I hope I never release something with a shit title. Like, mm. like I don't even know where to start with that, but yeah, I love a good title. When there's a good, when there's a really good movie, a really good book, and it has a shit title, I get like a little bit mad. I'm just like, man, you could have killed it with that. Like everything's good. That film with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal called Prisoners, mm. amazing movie. Shit title, shit title. Like there's no prison in that movie. Anyway, so like, I just yeah, I love that movie though. I remember leaving it and thinking, why the fuck was it called Prisoners? Like I get it, get people that kidnap these little girls, or whatever. But it's like. Yeah. they could have come up with something better anyway yeah. my little... that's always the, that's the, that and character names yeah yeah character names are just so like you, you don't want to you don't want to seem like someone who spent too long on the character name or also not any time at all yeah yeah this is John Smith it's like oh my, fuck off my um my um I saw a friend today an old friend that I caught up with that was, he was a, this is a little bit off topic, but he, I don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> he got caught, he was drunk, he jumped a train, he got caught by the police, and he told me today how they asked for his name because he didn't have a ticket, and he said his name was Adam Liams. <laughs> I'm like, how, you must have been drunk, just, oh, Adam Liams, like, yeah, I feel like there's some films or other pieces of literature that, um, that do that where it's like you know, that's a shit name like yeah. give us something cool shit names shit titles I can't do it yeah fuck that you'll have to what do you think what do you think of the title of this I liked it it was cute like yeah it's good it's like the mostly professional podcast yeah mm. yeah that's cool that's that's a good podcast name seal seal of approval seal of approval. of approval yeah from a guy who just ranted <laughs> about how much he hates shit titles. Oh, I'm glad. Mm. Oh, it warms the, warms I, I, the cockles of my heart. I wouldn't be here if I didn't like the title. <laughs> if, your, if your podcast was called something shit, I would yeah, come I on. Have, yeah, I wouldn't have done it. Thank you very much for listening to my conversation with Jake Moss. If you enjoyed this, please like and subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Leave a comment below and tell me what you think. My social media links are in the description as well as my guests today. Please make sure to check them out, follow them and be supportive. I'll catch you next time, probably with a solo episode and I'll make that known uh, on my social media. Thanks again. I'll see you next time.